Would you stand in the presence of the reading of God's Word? This morning from Exodus chapter 1, verse 22 and following. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with butamen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of God for the people of God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Moses. He is no doubt the key figure in this book of Exodus, the man God is using to lead the Hebrew people. But had you remembered or did you realize that without his sister, it appears that Moses would never have made it to adulthood? As Exodus opens, it begins to tell us in the first few sentences about the tribes of Israel, the names of the sons of Israel or the sons of Jacob. But before that, remember God has already been at work here. God has called one Abraham, told him he's going to be the father of a nation that's going to become a multitude and be a blessing to the entire planet. Through some ups and downs, Abraham is not sure that God's promise is going to be fulfilled, but then finally the promise is fulfilled through his son Isaac and then his son Jacob. And then in this beginning of the book of Exodus, we're told about Jacob giving his sons, 12 sons names, the 12 tribes of Israel. One of them is named Joseph. And Joseph, through a long story, has been separated from his family, has ended up in Egypt, but in a very favored position within the court of Pharaoh. And then a drought descends upon his brothers and his father and all of his relatives, and they come to Egypt, unbeknownst to them, Joseph is there, he is able to save them, he saves the life of his father, of all of his brothers, and all of the family. But then we're told that Jacob dies. 
and Joseph and all of his brothers and all of that generation have passed away. And then a new Pharaoh or a new king has come on the scene and this new ruler does not know Joseph. The new king does not know Joseph and does not care about the Israelites. In fact, he's afraid of them because they've grown so great in number that he's afraid they might overwhelm his kingdom and the Egyptians. And so we are told that he begins to try to oppress them. He begins to deal harshly with them. But they continue to flourish and multiply. So then he decides to take a drastic step. And we're told about that step in verse 22 where we began to read today. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrew, you shall throw into the Nile. Every baby boy born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile. In other words, you shall murder them. You shall kill each and every one of them. Can you imagine the horror? If our public officials declared that every baby boy born at Boston Avenue was to be killed immediately, or what would happen if our authorities declared that every baby boy in the Tulsa area be killed upon birth? It would be a terror. Panic would grip us all. The tone of life would change completely. Well, that's what's happening to the Hebrew people in this story today. It is a horrible time. But then we find the tension being ratcheted up even more when we find out that Miriam's mother is one of the Hebrew women who is pregnant. And sure enough, she gives birth to a baby boy. But she decides to defy the Pharaoh and try to keep him alive. The text tells us that she hides him for three months, but she finally gets to the point where she thinks she can hide him no longer from the slave masters or the taskmasters that are walking around their camp all of the time. And so she thinks about what she should do, and she comes up with a plan. She gets this basket, prepares it so that it will float, and puts the baby in it, and places it in the Nile, which is interestingly enough what the Pharaoh had commanded them to do, but just with a little twist. She puts the baby in the basket, covers him up, goes down to the side of the Nile River, puts the basket in the water, and asks Miriam to stand at a distance to watch to see what will happen? Let's pick up the story in the fifth verse of chapter 2. It says, The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, 
and she took pity on him. When she opened it, she saw the child. I want us to pause here long enough to realize how important that is. For the Pharaoh has already decreed that if you see a Hebrew baby boy, you're to throw it into the Nile. But Pharaoh's daughter sees the child, not as an enemy baby to be murdered, but as a human baby that deserves her pity or her compassion, her care. She sees this baby not as an enemy, but as a person with whom she can relate. And then it's at that point that Miriam steps onto the scene. And it's at this point where Miriam shines. At this point, we see Miriam as a person as she steps up and speaks up. We see her as a a person of great character. She is brave, innovative, and quite a risk taker. Did you hear in verse 7, right after the Pharaoh's daughter has found the boy in the basket, It says, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? What a gutsy step. Her mother has asked her to watch to see what will happen. But on her own, she steps up and begins to speak to Pharaoh's daughter. She's talking to a member of the royal family. She is a slave. And it's not even her royal family. It's a royal family that's declared her and her people as enemies. And yet this young woman steps out of the shadows, speaks to the Pharaoh's daughter, and offers some help. It's actually a brilliant plan. Let me read that part to you. Pharaoh's daughter said to her yes when she was asked if she needed a nursemaid. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. But what a brilliant move on Miriam's part. For not only is she watching, but she steps into action. She jumps into action and saves her brother's life. She ensures that he gets to grow up in his own family. He's reunited with his mother. He's going to be taken care of. On top of all of that, it turns out that she's going to be paid. So he helps ensure the economic security of the family. Plus, she also still keeps in place the idea that her mother had that maybe Pharaoh's daughter will raise this child so that when he grows up, he still has a favored place in this hostile kingdom where they're trying to kill him. Oh, I think it's a a brilliant move on Miriam's part. And what a gift to her family, to her mother, to her brother to all who cared about him. But it's more than even that. If we remember what God has promised he's going to do through the Hebrew people, then we realize that Miriam has helped this to come to pass. 
we realize that Miriam has just played a pivotal role in God's will coming to pass. For without Moses, this plan begins to fall apart. But she is able to save her brother's life. And in doing that, making sure that he's the one that God can use to lead the Hebrew children out of Egypt. He's the one to receive the Ten Commandments and deliver them to the people. He's the one who helps shape them into a nation as they're wandering in the wilderness and then finally leading them to the promised land. Oh, Moses is a key figure, no doubt. But as I was rereading this story this week and reading through the Exodus, I began to realize how important Miriam's role was. Always before, when I thought of Exodus, I automatically went to Moses. But reading this week, oh, Miriam, his sister, plays such a vital role for God's work in the world. As I was reading through these first several paragraphs of Exodus, I realized in these early chapters of Exodus, women play the most important roles in the story. It starts in chapter 1 with midwives that the Pharaoh tells to kill these children, and they refuse. And then there's Miriam's mother, and then there's Miriam, then there's Pharaoh's daughter, all women taking steps, all people that God ends up utilizing for God's will to come to pass. Now, I realize they're not the main leader. They're not the richest person in the story. They're not the most well-known. They've been elected to no public office. They receive no accolades. And yet God is using each and every one of them to bring his will to pass in the world. The lesson for us is that they had a role to play, and we too have a role to play. We might, might not have public power. We may not have vast riches. We may never be elected to public office. We may never lead a great organization or movement. And yet the Bible tells us over and over again that those are exactly the kind of people that God wants to use, that God can use us. It reminded me of what St. Paul wrote when he's writing to the early Christians in Rome and at Corinth. He's describing the body of Christ. It's in the 12th chapter of each of those books. Do you remember what he says? He says that God has given each and every one of us a gift. Each and every member of the body of Christ is given a gift to be used for the common good. Paul says it happens for all of us, that God is working in all of our lives, offering each and every one of us a gift to be used for the common good. We all have a role to play in God's work in the world. This year, the story I sent you about the commitment campaign talked about these villagers who heard that the king was coming to visit their village they wanted to prepare something extraordinary, something exquisite, a one-of-a-kind gift. How could they impress the king? They lived in wine country, so one of them said, what if we each brought a cup of our very best wine? 
put it all together, we would have a one-of-a-kind, exquisite offering to the king, something he had never had before. Everybody cheered and said, oh, that's a wonderful idea. But then they all began to have doubts. And one thought, maybe I'll just bring a half a cup. Another thought, maybe I'll fill my cup with water. Who's going to know the difference? Another thought, I can't afford that expensive stuff. I can't afford my best. I'll bring some inferior wine in my cup. Who will ever know? But then the day came that the king arrived. And with great pomp and ceremony, they presented the king with their finest goblet full of this exquisite one-of-a-kind wine. He takes a long, slow drink, but then he spits it out. For the water had ruined the best wine, and the inferior wine had soured the water. It was not fit to drink. Whenever we fail in using our gifts, then something that could have been extraordinary falls short. Something that could have been an exquisite offering is less than what God intends. What is your role? What is the gift God has given you? What will you offer? The good news is that God has sent us His Son so that we might know of this great love that He has for us that can forgive us of our sin and renew our life and bring us abundant life now and eternal life in the future. But not only has God done all of that, God has included us. God has given each of us a gift that we might contribute, that we might get to participate in this great work of God, that God might work through us for this divine love to flow into the world and touch a person's life, that our lives might be a part of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. But we have to do our part. We have to decide that we're willing to offer our gifts. Let's use Miriam as an example. Let's do our part. Let's offer our gifts. Let's be as bold as Miriam. Let us rejoice and give thanks to God. Amen.